Wonderful. Please do help me say thank you to our worship team and our prayer team and our hospitality folks. Would you thank you so much for all of that? Folks are still coming in now from the cafe. They're joining us. Make sure to keep smiling at them when they come in. We are glad that they are enjoying more fellowship in there. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4 as we begin. We're going to continue uh, this week in our, our uh, examination. Oh, we can back up on the, just the title slide real quick. I know it said 1 Timothy, but stay right there. There it is. So virtues. Somebody said Virtues. Very good. This is our uh, little little short series that we're talking about some virtues, but we're talking about the discipline of virtues. We're talking about things that a virtue is something that is good, but it's only it, things are things that are good when we they're good for us, they're good to do, but they for them to have effect in our life, they must become a discipline. They must become a regular, consistent part of our life, and that's where we say Amen. So we're going to talk about the discipline of virtues. Last time we talked about the discipline of gratitude. Today we're going to talk about the discipline of godliness. (laughs) Now see, Laura Lee is trying to help you all because you were looking for a more enthusiastic uh, title this week. Let's try it again. The discipline of godliness. Honestly, honestly, uh, you don't listen. Don't hurt God's feelings. We're, t- we're talking about being more like God. You should be more happy about that. Yes. No godliness. I'm gonna go. Let's go somewhere else. Uh, but what are we talking about? Here's our our our, our primary passage is in First Timothy chapter four, beginning at verse seven. And uh, here's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, "Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales." Now he's not being a pejorative. He's not speaking against gals. There, it's a it's a euphemism for for talking about things that don't matter. And uh, but the, the the primary statement here is, "Have nothing to do with that which is godless." So we're, we're starting there. Have, so we're, we're just following, trying to follow Paul's logic that he's going through a list of instructions with Timothy, but here he's kind of, lo- he's, he's kind of locked himself into a, a pattern or a, or, a, or a train of thought. Have nothing to do with that which is godless. We're putting which godless behind us. Rather, someone say rather, rather. train yourself to be godly. So if we can, if we can sort of just not not zero in on the euphemisms and the and the the the, the English translations of ancient st- statements, here's the idea: have nothing to do with that which is godless. Rather, train yourself to be godly. You feel that rhythm? And now he's going to give the reason. We want to find the why. Human beings love why. We know that if, you've had a, if you have a toddler, that's one of their favorite questions, right? And that's just fine. God made us to search for the why. We are motivated by the why, yes. right? If I said to you today, hey, I want to build a building and I need to raise $10 million, what might be your first question? Yeah, so what you want to build? What if I said, well, I'm actually going to build a, you know, this incredible hospital and anybody who comes there and it's for children and it's going to cure every single children's disease. How many would want to donate to the building now? We love the why. We want to buy the why. We are motivated by the why. So when we listen to or hear or receive imperatives in scripture, we should pay attention to the why. So what's the why? Rather have, have nothing to do with that which is Godless. Boo. Boo. 
Rather, instead, train yourself to be godly. So good. 10 a.m., you're knocking it out of the park. Okay. Well, well, what? Okay, but why? Why should I train myself to be godly? Because here's the deal. Now, then he says, you might, it might feel like, what? For physical training is of some value. Did you feel like he just took a left turn at Albuquerque? Like, what does this have to do with, I thought we were talking about godless and godly, and now he's talking about physical training. Well, the idea is he said, train. Train yourself to be godly. So he's not just saying be godly, which he is, but he's saying that we can and should train ourselves to be godly. And so the, the analogy, by contrast, is like physical training. So we're going to say, oh, so training for godliness has some similarities to physical training. There's some similarities there. But before we chase those similarities, he wants, to, he wants to contrast their value. So he says, for physical training is of some value. The NIV says some value. Other translations, older translations when we were kids, some of them said little value. And it sounded, <laughs> it sounded a little dismissive. And we used it to say, ha, I don't have to exercise. Bible says it's of little value. As if, ha I've got Bible to prove that physical training is worthless. La, 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 dead. Yeah. La, 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 diabetes. La, la, la. Right? No, it doesn't say it's of, it's of value less. It's just of some. Somebody say some. There's some, there is some value in physical training. But by comparison, godliness has value in all things. Holy moly. Well, I haven't even finished the passage yet. Uh, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, he, Paul, this is one of those things. He, the other time that we hear Paul say, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance is when we hear Paul say that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is, a, this is, this is something that Paul believes is so fundamental that it, can, it should become part of our like inner slogan. It should be a slogan, something that we can say to ourselves that's just a fundamental principle pillar of our life. Jesus came to save sinners. Godliness has value in all things. Godliness has value in all things. You want to say that with me? Godliness has value. Let's try it again. Godliness has value in all things. Whoa, both and it holds promise both for this life and the life to come. Let's huge claim, huge claim. Let's just let it weigh on us for a minute. Godliness has value in what? How many things? What is, it has value. Godliness brings or adds value in everything. Godliness has value in church. Yeah, yeah. We're not, it's not a trick question. Well, what's he mean by that? Does he, what's he mean church? Does godliness have value in church? Yes, yes godliness makes church better. Oh, yes. Yes. Godly, well, you think about it. Godliness is better to have godly church than not. Yes. Y'all, some of you have been a part of where it hadn't been. Yes. And you're not there no more. But godliness makes church better. Yes. Godliness adds value no matter what. Godliness, good, is it good in church? Yes. What about at home? Yes. Godliness makes your home better. Yes. 
It adds value to your home. Godliness. Whatever it is, whatever your home is like, godliness will make it better. Godliness will make it better. What about our relationships? What about our marriage? What? Well, I'm working on it. I was fixing to say something smart, Alecky, and you said it before the things. I'm going to get to the matching part in just a minute. This is not on purpose. Would you watch Stand for the Cameras? No. Come on. Yeah, yeah, stand for the Cameras. You start doing stuff like this on accident. Somebody said to me at 8.30, it was, of course, another dude. He was like, hey, I got some you know, pajama pants if you want them too, you know. <laughs> let, me get, let me get me some red boots. Uh, godliness makes your marriage better. You want? You like being married? Godliness will make it better. Godliness will make parenting better. Will add value to parenting. Oh, good. What does it stop there? No. No. Word word on the street is all things. That means on the streets. That means as a citizen out there doing my citizen thing, godliness will make me a better citizen. Godliness will make me a better boss. Godliness will make me a better employee. Godliness godliness will make business better. Godliness will make business. Godliness will improve your economy. Godliness will improve government and politics. Oh, separation of nonsense. No, godliness adds value. Wherever, whatever it is, godliness will make it better. So good, that's a good virtue. And here's what it does. Godliness holds the promise, holds promise. That means whatever it is, godliness is going to make it better. It's promises sitting in front of you. It's like it's a motivation sitting right there in front of you. Godliness holds promise both for this life, this life, and the life to come. Ooh, now, 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 Paul's taking it up a notch. Because there are some things in this life that have value that can improve some things. Some things have value in this life. Physical training has value in this life. Being, being healthy is better than being not healthy. Right? That's better. That's better. Uh, don't get upset. Money is good in this life. Yes. Listen, I don't, don't, don't get all pious on me. It is better to have it than to not. Yes. And it's better to have more of it, if you, especially if you want to do things right. or give things away or help people. Yes. Brother Maul, Papa used to say, he said, if you're not saving souls or making money, you're not doing anybody any good. Come on. <laughs> That's what he, he, he told me in the truck. Well, well, Brian, if you're not saving souls or making money, you're not doing anybody any good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> money has value in this life physical fitness there are other things that have value in this life but no matter but there are but most of those things no matter how much you have of them in this life they will make no difference in the life to come you can be the pinnacle the p- pinnacle of physical fitness Oh, I'm not making any suggestions. But you can be the pinnacle of physical perfection.
and you are going to leave that physical perfection in the ground. No matter how great your carcass is, it's going to stay down there. Oh, man, I put all this. I put a bazillion dollars. I had all kinds. I had augmented everything. It's going to just bury it. You're not taking that. You're not taking that. You're going to get yourself, hopefully, God willing, in Christ, you're going to get yourself a new one. How many are glad we're going to get ourselves a new one? Thank you, Jesus. Glorified body. It doesn't matter how fit you. You should be fit. There's value. But it doesn't matter how fit you are. You're not taking that with you. What about money? Yeah. You can, is it good to have some good stuff? Listen, you can say this. You can say this. Listen, when it's time for my time, you're going to stick me in that box or whatever. You can say, stick all a bunch of 20s in my pocket. Guess where those 20s are going? In the ground. You're taking none of that with you. You can have all of it. You can have as much as you want and do a lot of good. You're not taking, you're not taking any of it with you. It's not going to do it. None of it's going to go with you. But godliness? Godliness. Paul makes this claim that godliness has promise now and holds promise in the life ahead. It is something that we can take with us. And I'm going to just theologize, and I think Paul would agree with me. He should. And if he doesn't, he's wrong. Um, <laughs> welcome. I have, welcome to the unveiling of my hubris. But you'll agree with me. Watch this now. Watch this now. Rick gets up and leaves. Uh, um, I knew it. Uh, godly, godliness not only helps promise in this life and the life to come, but godliness you can leave behind. Godliness is a, is a heritage and a legacy and an example that you leave behind. Now, you might say, well, I can leave money behind. Well, you can, but at risk. You can leave a whole bunch of it, and somebody does one dumb thing, and it's gone. Hear me. Somebody does one dumb thing and all that's gone. Stolen, lost, forfeit, taxed. <laughs> I got to be careful talking about that stuff in this church. You guys, you can do the uprising. But a lot, you, you can leave a bunch of money behind, but stuff can happen to that. But nobody, but you, your godliness that you leave behind, the legacy and example that you leave behind cannot be touched by time, taxes, or, or theft. It can't be. There are people in this room right now that are saying amen, Rick, that, are, that know very well that the greatest things that we have been left is the godliness of those who have gone before us. We could have, you could have, listen, I, my dad's a great, 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 I'll talk about him behind his back all the time. My dad's a great dad, best dad ever been a dad. My dad, if he went to heaven tomorrow, and I know he's going, I, didn't, I don't mean if, <laughs> I just mean timing, not like destiny if, all right? <laughs> We're hoping. Uh, <laughs> but if it were tomorrow, you know, unless he's hiding something from me, you know, I'm not going to suddenly become a bazillionaire inheritance. <laughs> unless he's saving a big surprise. <laughs> but he's already, he's already left me something far greater than whatever bazillions. He's already lived a life, a legacy of godliness that has value in his life. It's added value to our home. It's added value to our relationship. It's added value to what it means to be a Davenport. It adds, it's added value to his, I don't know, they've been married 84 and a half years or something like that. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, six, yes, I knew she was going <laughs> to. 63 and a half. Yeah. It's added value. Go ahead and clap, clap. You want to clap? Godliness has value in this life and the next, and it is a legacy that you can leave behind that cannot be touched, that cannot be taken. See, I told you you'd agree with me. Godliness has this value. It's a huge claim. Huge claim. It should be trusted, Paul says, and fully embraced that godliness has value in all things. Well, if that's true, let's ask, what is godliness? Let's try to define it at least. What is godliness? Well, it means devoutness and uprightness. Okay, well, let's, let's take that further. Godliness is conforming to the way and will of God. It is conforming my life to God's will. So it is more than simply an attitude. It is an action. It is my conduct. Now, biblically, we can also understand things, and, and typically this happens in the Bible. When the Lord wants us to understand what something is, he often tells us what it is not. We understand things by contrast. So what, what is godliness? Well, first of all, we know this. Godliness is not worldliness. It is not worldliness. It being like, heads up, being God, to, godliness means being like God. So being like God, I cannot be like the world. Being like the world is this direction. Being like God is the other. James chapter 4, verse 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? That's a fancy word for hatred. That friendship with the world is hatred toward God. Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed. Do not fit yourself into the pattern of this world the shape, the measurement of this world. This world has certain measurements, certain values, certain ways and of doing things. Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be changed in the renewing of your mind so that you will know what and be able to prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. Godliness cannot ever be worldliness. Godliness also is not carnality. It is not fleshy. To be like God, I cannot be, be I'm going to be like, to be like God means I cannot like or be like sinful expressions. Godliness is not carnality. Listen to how, what Paul says. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God, nor can it. Carnality is hostility toward God. If worldliness is hatred toward God, carnality is hostility toward God. Now, if we need help on what do we, what, Paul, what do you mean by carnality or the works of the flesh? Well, he hasn't left us guessing. These kinds of things represent hostility. It's interesting to look at them this way. So the, I'm going to read Galatians 5.19. This said, Paul's going to say, the works of the flesh are obvious. But let's hear the phrase, hostility toward God looks like this. Can we say it that way? Hostility toward God looks like this. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, 
idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. That's hostility toward God. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Godliness is not worldliness, and godliness cannot be carnality. We can't, we, can't, we can't have hatred or hostility toward God and be godly. Everybody said, okay. All right, so then what is it? What are, what are positive examples? Well, if godliness means being like God, godly, meaning being, God, being like him, how can we be like God? Can we be like God in his absolute attributes? No, but we can learn from that. We can learn from them. We can observe and honor his absolute attributes, recognize that those aren't ours, but we can learn from them. For instance, God is eternal, and you are not. You, may, you, may, you are going to live forever somewhere, but you all had a beginning. Our mind gets a little triggered when we start saying, God did not have one. Oh, boy, there's the, now that's it. Check out for the day. But God is eternal, and you are not. But... What we should learn from that, eternity is real. Yes. And you should live like it. And you should live now with an understanding of and a reverence for and an anticipation of eternity. Yes. So we, we, I can't be eternal, but I can learn from God's aspect. God is immutable. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. Now, and I, I, meaning God doesn't change. He is consistent. He is perfectly consistent. We don't have to wake up one day and think, uh-oh, he's changed his mind. There is no shadow of turning with him. He doesn't change his mind or his mood. It is God's immutability, his consistency, that gives us a sense of confident trust in him. Now, we can learn two things from that, two things. Number one, God is immutable, but you are not. God doesn't change because he cannot, doesn't need to, but you do. You can change and should and be like him. On the other hand, there are some aspects that we can say of that you, maybe, but on the other hand, we can be more consistent. We can be more dependable. Maybe, maybe people shouldn't wake up wondering what mood we're going to be in. I may not be immutable, but I can sure learn from it. I can serve, wait, what if, what if I was a little more consistent? What if your family did not wake up wondering what was going to come out of your mouth or your mood that day? What if uh, employees were able to think, okay, I, whatever is going to happen, I know the boss is going to come in. There's going to be, there's going to be consistency there. Or maybe, maybe you, or you, what if you, what if we showed up on time? You know, we could just keep going. God is omniscient. You are not. Dev, <laughs> you are not omniscient, but you sh- can keep learning. Yes. You should keep seeking to learn and to understand. Yes. God is omnipotent, and you are not, but you can be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You can learn that God's strength is available to you. You can be honest about your weaknesses and your needs for His strengths. And here's one. God is omnipresent. He is present everywhere. And you are not. And you should stop trying. (laughs) Have you ever found success trying to be two places at the same time? 
Like, and, but, but, and yet it happens. You are one place and you're worried about another thing. You're sitting here and you're worried about what's going to happen tomorrow or what happened yesterday or what might be happening across town or what you haven't got to yet. And what happens is you've become completely useless to yourself and to others around you. God is present everywhere, but in, in, in God's omnipotence, he is able to be present everywhere and yet fully present everywhere. And therein is what you and I can learn. Learn to be fully present now. Jim Elliott, the great missionary and martyr said that, wherever you are, be all there. Lesson I had to learn, and I, I, th I think I'm still learning it, but I remember the first time that I really had to learn it was when I, we were quite a bit younger, more, more decades ago than I want to count, I suppose, when I was in undergraduate school at ORU, and I, and I, I, and I was, because of my extreme patience, <laughs> I, I wanted to really take my time and thoroughly just do a normal school route, and so I signed up for 20 semester credit hours. Yeah, yeah, because I have this low need for achievement and I want to take my time and do things, okay? So I, took, I signed up for 20 semester hours. I got a special approval to do it. And then about that time, there was the church that we are a part of, the pastor decided to quit, called me and said, you have to take this. So, and the church was struggling in every way that a church could struggle. But now us in our 20s, we are now the lead pastors of Church About to Crash, 20 credit hours, and she works full-time at the university. We have one car and a cat. I've never talked about that cat. Someday we'll talk about it. It's a bad cat. But that's when I heard Jim Elliott's quote the first time. And that's when I understood that if I was going to be effective anywhere, I had to be fully present there that the only way to be effective was to, was to not allow yourself the temptation of worrying about where you're not and be fully present where you are. That's godliness. You can see how this would be valuable, how this would add value. But there's more. So while I, can, while I, can, I, won't, I cannot possess, but I can learn from God's absolute attributes, I can possess and practice his moral attributes. These are the attributes of God that God, has, that God has provided to us and prescribed for us. Now, theologians usually make a couple of lists or maybe long lists of, of God's moral attributes, and they're all good and they're all true. I'm grateful that in our HSM uh, textbooks, the authors have decided to narrow God's moral attributes into two fundamental ones, and from them, all of the other attributes of God branch out. And here's what the authors suggest, and here's what we're going to go for today. That God's two fundamental moral attributes that he shares with us is holiness and love. Would you say that out loud with me? Holiness and love. God is holy and God is love. Out from God's holiness comes his justice, his impartiality, his trustworthiness. His, his faithfulness, that all of these things are because of and come from the fact that he's holy. God is love. Someone say God is love. Because God is love, God is kind. God is gracious. And he is good. 
It is the love of God from whence comes the, the goodness of God comes from his love. Yeah. And it's these moral characteristics that you and I are, we have been provided, equipped with them, and God, God has equipped us. He has, he, he, he has, uh, 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 he calls us to have them. He, he equips us with them and he expects us to walk with them. And there is no end to their development in our lives. If you have a high need for achievement, I've got good news. Train yourself for godliness. You'll never, you'll never reach the finish line. There will always be more to experience, to express, and to become. Listen to this carefully, this next sentence carefully, because I want to make sure that you get this settled in your heart unless you take a left turn at Albuquerque and miss the whole point today. Did anybody else not watch Bugs Bunny? <laughs> Just Google it. It's pretty good. To train yourself for godliness, to become more godly, you are not becoming more loved by God, but you are becoming more like Him. So I'm not striving to earn more of His love. I'm training to be more like Him. And primarily, it is by receiving and becoming more holy, more loving. But let's understand what we mean by that. First of all, holiness is something that God has, has, has fully expects from us. He's, uh, 1 Peter 1, 15, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. 2 Timothy 1, 9, He saved us and called us to a holy life. Meaning we choose to live holy because we've been called to it. What does it mean to be holy? Well, it, at least it, 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 like the nature of God, it does begin with. Holiness does fundamentally require that we abstain from that which is unholy. That we abstain from that which is impure, unrighteous, unclean. That which tarnishes the image of God blasphemy. We abstain from that, but holiness is not, hear this, my sweet friends, holiness is not just what we abstain from, it is what we express. That same value of holiness as I abstain from, I shun that which is unclean and impure and immoral and unrighteous. That same holiness compels me to be truthful, to be honest, to have integrity, that's holiness. So it's not, just, it's not just that I shun that which is impure. I embrace integrity. And I, these are things that I choose, that I train myself to do. To shun that which is impure. And to embrace a lifestyle that reflects the holiness of God. The second aspect of this moral nature is love. We choose to act in love. Someone say, we choose to act in love. We choose to act in love. Listen, John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is super important for us to get. What is he commanding us to do here? To love one another, yeah. He is not, he's not commanding us to feel. He's commanding us to do. 
This is the word, we know this, or some of you know this, this is the word agape in Greek, and it's a different kind of love. It is a specific kind of love. It is a love that is different than the love, I mean, I should have, I, I have, and I do, have agape love toward my wife, toward my daughter. I do. I love them without condition, and I love them at, with, with deliberate goodwill. I also think my wife is very pretty. I also, I'm owned by my daughter. <laughs> Happily so, okay? I, I have certain feelings toward them that are sacred that belong only to them. It would be super weird, super awky for me, for, for me to think that the Lord wanted me to have the same feeling for Lady Lauren that I do for my wife. That would be bad. I would say, no, God. Right? We would all be uncomfortable with that. That leads to not good things. So we're not, we should understand that when the Lord says to love, like to love one another and love others, if I love, love you, he's, he's not talking about the love of God is not about chocolates and roses. It's not about ma matching flannel. <laughs> God's love is principally expressed in goodwill. That doesn't mean that there's no feeling to it, but it's principally expressed. It is not motivated by feeling. It is motivated by choice. Agape love is acting in good will. Someone say good will. Good will toward another person. It may be, it may, whether I know them or not, I can act in good will toward them. When, when the Bible says that God so, we know the passage, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have everlasting life. And we hear, for God so loved the world, and we hear that in an English rhythm, and it sounds like God was so in love with the world that he was overwhelmed with that feeling of love and he gave his only son. That's not what it says. God was not in love with our sin and our brokenness. He was not in love with our debauchery and our darkness and our oppression. He wasn't. The word is hos, that's W-S in Greek. It should, read, it should sound something more like this. God loved the world in this way that he gave his only begotten son. He, that's why that same writer, John, will later say, consider what great the love the Father has for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This act of loving goodwill was not motivated by, by romance or feeling or overwhelming sense of, of, of fuzziness, but an absolute fiery, fiery determination from the love of God to do good for us when we did not deserve it. And there it is. The love of God doesn't come to us because we deserve it, but because we need it. And the love that he commands us to share with others is not the love that they deserve, but the love that they need. It means that I, and the love of God works through my life. I'm able to choose and act in goodwill toward those I don't know, and even those I may not like. But that's the real power of love. It's easy to show love to someone I'm delighted in. That's super easy. That's not noble. But godliness means I'm going to show goodness. Real, not phony baloney, but real goodness to someone. Even if I don't know them, we don't have things in common. 
if I don't agree with them, if I'm significantly disappointed by the choices that they've made, I can still and I must still show good will toward them. That is God. That adds value. The imperative then is simply this, train yourself to do it. We know what it is, so train yourself. What does training involve? Diligence, devotion and diligence. That's what training is. I've got to put my heart into it. I've got to, I've got to be committed to this for real. And then I've got to keep doing it over and over again. Keep doing it over and over again. Paul warns us when he writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, he describes, uh, uh, well, he just, listen to it. He says, in the last days, people will be, Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good. Count how many times he talks about misplaced and perverted love. Teachers, uh, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, meaning having a claim, wearing it like a cloak, but denying its power. To deny its power means to refuse its right of influence. To say, oh yeah, to claim the name, to claim the title, but to refuse the influence. No, godliness means I submit to God's influence in my life. I surrender to his lordship. Godliness means I first, it's first an act of devotion. I choose to submit to his holiness. I choose to submit to his love. And then I do it again. 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 And that's training. Hebrews chapter four talks about the mature who have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil by constant use. They've trained themselves to distinguish, to to quickly and eagerly choose what is good from evil because they've trained themselves to do it. They've done it over through constant use. Somebody said constant. Constant Constant use. Train yourself to be godly. Choose to submit to the holiness and the love of God over and over and over. And if you do, it'll add value to every part of your life and it will hold promise for this life and the life to come so train yourself for godliness somebody said amen Amen. let's stand together Lord I give you my heart I give you my soul I live for you alone Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way 
we offer to you our heart, our soul, our strength, our mind, our being. You say, Spirit of a living God, would you fall freshly upon us? Would you fill us? Would you flow through us? Would you rule in us, Spirit of God? That you would prompt and compel and equip us fully, Lord, to choose the holiness and the love of God over and over and over and over and over again. Not to become more loved by you, but to become more like you. This we pray in the mighty, matchless, miraculous name of Jesus. Somebody said amen. We've got a few minutes if you'd like, and we're going to open up the front. If you'd like to just have a, find a place of prayer to stand or kneel or whatever, we want to open up the front, the front for prayer. If you want to have fellowship or hang out with other people, we have the lobby and the cafe. God bless you. Train yourself for godliness.